On this final Advent Sunday, let's open our Bibles to the Gospel of John, John chapter 3. We've been looking at four topics, uh, hope, Christmas hope, Christmas peace, Christmas love, that's today, and next Sunday, Lord willing, Christmas joy. Wonderful contemplations on the richness of what we're celebrating in this season. John chapter 3 is our text this morning. As you're turning, let me welcome those who might be watching our live stream from near or far. Uh, We would welcome you to join us. Our Christmas Eve service is at 6 o'clock p.m. on Saturday or Sunday morning. We're here. We worship on the first day of the week, so we'll be here next Sunday as well. Let me read God's word to you. We're going to begin in the so well-known verse 16 and read through the paragraph as we look at Christmas love. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. May God bless the reading, hearing, believing, and obeying of his word. Amen. Amen. It's a well-known fact of our culture, indeed of most cultures, that on Easter Sunday and Christmas Sunday, that's typically the Sunday right before Christmas, so that might be today, on these religious high points, many people come out to church that might not normally make it. Maybe something from their youth has been rekindled and they want to be in worship, and this is a very good thing. Or perhaps they're curious, or it just seems fitting. It's Christmas, and it has to do with Jesus, so why not come to church? And perhaps as you come, and as many come, they have questions. There's a curiosity factor. Does this still matter? How does this relate to me? All these things are well and good, and when you come to church and God's word is faithfully given forth, there are answers. To be found. Our text today is John 3, and something very similar was happening in John 3. We don't know what time of year it was. We don't know what day it was. It wasn't necessarily a Christmas time event. But a man named Nicodemus finally said, I, I, I'm going to go and, and figure out some things. I'm going to go see Jesus. I've heard some things. Who was Nicodemus? Well, he was a Pharisee. And a member of the Sanhedrin, that's the ruling body among the Jewish people. So he's a man of great stature, a man of education, a man of substance, both literally wealth, I'm sure, and then good standing. 
But he comes at night because there's a level of uncertainty. I'm not quite sure. I'm not going to approach Jesus during the day. So he didn't necessarily go to a public service, but he found where the Lord was and he came. He had come to accept Jesus as a teacher. That much seems clear. But when he comes and speaks with Jesus in the first part of this chapter, Jesus quickly perceives the question of his heart. How can I enter the kingdom of God? Jesus emphasized the the necessity of the new birth. You must be born again. Jesus says it more than once here. John 3, verse 3 and elsewhere. But Nicodemus can't figure that out. He comes to a roadblock, either mentally or spiritually, and he, he just camps on this question, how can these things be? And like the world, they understand that Christmas has something to do with God's Son coming to earth and salvation, but they don't necessarily understand that whole transaction and why it's significant and how they can have it for themselves. The answer that Jesus gave to Nicodemus is the answer that's fitting for us or for any who are listening to the gospel being preached, wondering what the message of Christmas is about. So in that light, we read John 3.16. Many times we just pluck it out of context. But John 3.16 is the answer to the question, how? How how can I have a rightness before God? How can I have a relationship with God? How can I have a hope of heaven? The big questions of life. And the reply of Jesus to Nicodemus and to us is to speak of God's great love and his gift motivated by love. That's profound. We can so simply and tritely say God is love. But my friends, it is the answer to this great question. Who am I? How do I deal with my guilt? How can I have a hope of life everlasting or a relationship with the God who made me? How can I have understanding? It boils down to knowing about God's love and his gift from that love. So let's break this down a little bit. Let's talk about Christmas love. Let's first talk about this uh, transaction that's so clearly stated. God so loved the world. That. We'll get to the that in just a minute. Let's take that opening line. God so loved the world. Here we talk, we hear about the giver and the object of the giving and the gift. God so loved the world. The giver. The giver is God. The Bible clearly asserts that God is the creator of all things. When you want to define who God is, we usually talk about Genesis. God created all that is, and he sustains it, and he rules it. He is God. He's the giver of something more than creation. He didn't just create things and leave it be as some deist view of God. He is a very active God. This God that we know from the Bible is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-glorious in all his perfections. We could go on and on. There have been volumes of books written on 
the attributes of God and the perfections of God, trying to explain who he is from what he has told us. But one thing I would underline out of all those attributes is that God is self-sufficient. God is self-sufficient in and of himself. When, when the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, God the Trinity, spoke and said, let us make man in our own image, they didn't create anything, no less man, because they needed a friend. God is completely self-sufficient. As the Bible says in one poetic expression, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. That's not a thousand heads of cattle. I don't know if you've been watching any of these Western shows where you see giant herds of cattle. It's talking about cattle on a thousand hills, which means endless supply. God is self-sufficient. He didn't create because he had a need. So why would he enter into a relationship if he doesn't have a need? Very interesting to contemplate. The Bible has answers for that. But we simply note that the giver is this glorious God. And the object of his giving is what? God so loved the world that he gave. The world. The Greek word here is cosmos. It was used in John chapter 1 as it talked about in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And the word created all that there was. The world. The earth. So This world that God gives to, in its broadest sense, means the universe, which includes the earth. In a slightly more narrow sense, it means mankind. All the people in the world. All the people in the world that are made in God's image who have the capacity for a relationship with him. Why would we narrow that when it says God so loved the world? Because of the context in which it's used. This isn't a statement on how much God loves the Grand Canyon. Or uh, the Caribbean. Or palm trees. This is a statement about God's love for humanity. And how do we know that? Because it goes on to speak. The word world. The word world is repeated, isn't it? Verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So this is a a redemptive agenda, this gift. And it's given to those who could be redeemed from their sin. And that's human beings. So when it says God so loved the world, it's talking about humanity. But it uses this word cosmos because it's humanity unrestricted. What God gives is available to anyone and everyone. There are no divisions. God didn't send Jesus just for the Jews. God didn't send Jesus just for the church people or the good people. It's for any and all people. Whosoever believes. That's the language of the Bible. That broad and wide offer of the gospel. That's what the Bible teaches. God gave the world. Because of his love for the world, he gives to the world. But we also have to note the backdrop here. Why this transaction is even uh, more stupendous. Because the world that God is loving 
is locked in darkness. Again, let's just turn a page or two back to the left in your Bibles. John chapter 1. Yes, the Word was in the beginning. The Word created the world. But we get to John 1 verse 10. Talks about Jesus coming into the world. God so loved the world, he gave Jesus. Well, how did the world react at first? Verses 10 and 11. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Verse 11. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Why is that? Well, the world is a dark place. John hinted about that in John chapter 1, and he makes it very explicit in our text again back in chapter 3. That long section after John 3.16, everybody knows John 3.16, but the after part talks in verses 19 and 20 of chapter 3, That men love darkness, specifically verse 19. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. That's Jesus, comes into the world. And the people, the the world, by and large, love the darkness rather than the light. Because their works were evil. Because we're sinful, rebellious creatures. In verse 20, for everyone who does wicked things, (coughs) everyone who does wicked things hates the light. And does not come into the light, lest his works should be exposed. So as we look at the giver and then we look at the object, the world, we have to remember that this world was not a welcoming place. As beautiful as creation is, as delightful as God's creatures are, capable of such wonderful things, creativity, uh, procreation, all sorts of beautiful things, there was sin and rebellion in the world. There was a spiritual darkness. Nevertheless, the Bible clearly says, God so loved the world. And then the key phrase as we begin this opening line, God so loved the world that he gave. We've looked at the giver, the object, what is the gift? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's the King James, only begotten son. The the newer translation simply put his only son. It's correct. God has but one son, as it were, the, the equal member of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Three persons, one in essence, The Son of God, Jesus said, I will go. The Father said, will you go? He said, yes. And by the Spirit, he was conceived in the womb of Mary and born into the world and took upon himself human nature. This is the gift, Jesus. The one who was prophesied, the one who was born in Bethlehem, the one who would go to the cross in our place. That's the gift. Not just the baby, But the man, the Lord, the Messiah, the Christ, the Lamb of God, the dead but risen one, is the gift. John 3, when it talks about how God so loved the world, he's giving this priceless gift, this unique and powerful gift. It says his only son, the only begotten son, because as John Calvin says, this is 
emphatic to magnify the fervor of the love of God towards us. Calvin goes on to say, For as men are not easily convinced that God loves them, in order to remove all doubt, he has expressly stated that we are so very dear to God that, on our account, he did not even spare his only begotten son. God's gone on record. I love you this much that I give you my son. I don't just send a messenger. I don't just put a crown on Jesus and set him before you. I send him to be born in weakness among you in human likeness with human nature and to shed his blood for you. That's the gift. The giver, the object, and the gift. So, so what do we begin to understand about the, the love of God here? Let's pause in this second heading of today's sermon and talk about the love of God. What are we learning about it? The first thing we learn is right here in this expression, God so loved the world. The word so. It's talking about a degree. We learn first that God's love is great. God's love is great. It's not just love. It's a great love. And as Jesus would later teach in the Gospel of John, no greater love has any man than this, that he should lay down his life for another. And here God lays down his life for his creatures. What do we mean when we say love is great? How do we describe such a love? Maybe you're thinking of the ones you love because Christmas is coming and you might see them. Or, or more commonly, we don't see everyone we love, but our heart still pangs away how we miss them. There was a woman named Elizabeth Barrett Browning. She was pretty good with poetry. So she wrote a poem trying to convey how much she loves someone. You might know the opening line, but she goes beyond that to express in some way the greatness of her love. She wrote, How do I love thee? Let me count the ways. I love thee to the depth and breadth and height my soul can reach when feeling out of sight for the ends of being and ideal grace. I love thee to the level of every day's most quiet need by sun and by candlelight. I love thee freely as men fight, excuse me, as men strive for right. I love thee purely as they turn from praise. I love thee with a passion to put to use in my old griefs with my childhood faith. I love thee with a love I seem to lose with my lost saints. I love thee with the breath, smiles, tears of all my life. And if God choose, I shall, I shall but love thee better after death. That woman was in love. And it sounds like there's no extent, no time of day, no degree or no resource that, that wasn't applied to that love. The Bible says God's love is greater than what a human being can muster. His love is so great God so loved the world. It's the superlative. You can take your experiences of love and multiply them to the nth degree. And we don't come close. Remember, God is the all-sufficient one. 
And he gives of him very, his very self for us. His love is great. I appreciate the lyrics of an old hymn, which are poetic, by F.M. Lehman. It was based on a very old poem. You've heard this before. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair bowed down with care. God gave his son to win. His erring child he reconciled and pardoned from his sin. O love of God, how rich and pure, how marvelous and strong. It shall forevermore endure the saints and angels' song. And the third verse from that poem, this you might remember. Could we with ink the ocean fill, and were the skies of parchment made, were every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretch from sky to sky, the love of God. The Bible tells us it's great. There is no greater love. If you're longing to be loved, why settle for the small little loves of a pint of ice cream or binge watching something only to lose sleep and gain weight? Real love. God, as one theologian has put it, is the source and origin of all love. His love is so great. Will you not consider it? Churches are filled with worshipers this day, and I I trust that next Lord's Day, next Sunday, worshipers will still come because we're in a relationship with our Creator who loves us so. So we worship Him and we walk with Him. His love is that great. There's more to be said about His love, though, as we continue. The love of God is gracious and giving. It's great, but it's gracious in giving. There's a quality to this love that it gives. The word here for love isn't just those Greek words for brotherly love, phileo, or for sexual love, certainly not. And not just storge for familial love, like a brother for a sister. This is agape love. John 3.16 seizes upon that term, the selfless, unconditional giving love. It speaks of the quality of God's love. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Remember, this is a world in rebellion. This is a world in darkness. Romans 5.8 says, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Sometimes when you're given a Christmas gift, you feel the need to reciprocate. Oh, I need to give something to the Smiths uh, because I just got this from them. Or Christmas cards. There's that reciprocity, and that's natural. God had nothing to gain. He gives by his grace, gaining nothing from us, really. Getting glory in the universe through his great act, but nothing from us that we could exchange, no merit in our hands we bring, simply to the cross we cling. God's love, like his grace, is amazing. 
A third thing I want to say about his love, too. It's great. It's gracious. It undergirds our relationship with him. God's love continues and it strengthens and it supports our relationship with him. I hope people hear this, especially church people today. We're here every week. Let's make sure we remember God loves us, not because of what you have done, but because of what Christ has done. And it's his love that undergirds our relationship. Oh, I forgot to read my Bible. God doesn't love you less. He, as a heavenly father, might train you a little better and get after you. That's what fathers do. That's what loving parents would do. If you're neglecting your responsibilities and privileges, God will train us. But his love is always there. So we say his love undergirds our relationship with him. Gerald Bray has written a systematic theology and he's titled it God is Love. It's an interesting read. It's a, one of those large volumes of theology. But he takes the love of God as the theme of all Christian theology. Gerald Bray makes this comment. How many of us can put into words the feeling we have for those who are closest to us? But if human love is a powerful force that cannot be pinned down like that, how much more will this be true of the love of God? It's often beyond our understanding and description, but we know it and we rely upon it. I want to make two quick points about this undergirding our relationship. The first, when the Bible says God so loved the world, there's a metaphysical assumption there. I'm sure some of you have already thought of this. What metaphysical assumption? That God, hear me now, God is a person. Only persons love. Some prime mover, some big bang in the sky can't love you. But a creator God who is a personal God can love you. So the very concept of love implies that there must be someone or something to be loved, a personal God capable of a relationship, capable of giving and receiving love. So that's the premise, that there can be a relationship, and then God's love sustains that relationship with his people. Love is at the bottom of it all, our relationship with him. When God called out the Jews to be his special people and he brought them to Mount Sinai, he gave them the Ten Commandments and and said, I've got a whole place for you to, to retire to, the promised land. I'm going to take you all there. He reminded his people of old something in Deuteronomy that I think applies to all of us. Of course it does. These words he spoke to Israel of old, but it's for all God's people to remind us why we're in this relationship here. This is Deuteronomy 7, beginning in verse 7. For you are a people holy to God. The Lord God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any people that the Lord set his love upon you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all the peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out of slavery with a mighty hand and redeemed you. Did you hear that? 
Even in the Old Testament, and some people get lost in the Mosaic rituals and laws and the, the way the relationship in the Old Covenant was so heavily structured, Deuteronomy pierces to the heart of the matter. Don't get confused that by your law-keeping, your religious performance has gotten you into this. That's not why God set his love upon you. It is because the Lord loves you. It's his initiative. And it always is. Hear me now. God's people, God loves you because he is a God who loves. So that's a wonderful point about how his love undergirds our relationship. Great, gracious, and undergirding. Well, we're approaching Christmas, and we're talking about love in John 3.16 because of that. So let's bring this together under this theme of Christmas, the gift of Christmas love. What is the purpose of God's gift? We can read plainly, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Great, we've talked about the gift, but it goes on. And there's a word there that's like a sign saying, this is the reason. And the reason clause is right in verse 16. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The purpose of God's loving gift? Eternal life. Everlasting life. Salvation. There are two concepts in the Bible for those of you who pay attention. There's eternal life and everlasting life. The word here actually doesn't talk about the quality that's usually eternal life this everlasting life um, eternal life here means quantity really normally we talk about the quality of that life it begins now but he's making a a, a statement to Nicodemus about this new eternal long-lasting life he says you will live forever with God there will be a quality to it as well This is describing salvation. Isn't that how the angels spoke when they appeared uh, to those shepherds uh, and uh, declared uh, those wonderful things that they declared? The angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Kind of sounds like God so loved the world that. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, Who is Christ the Lord? You're getting a deliverer, a redeemer, a savior. God sent his son, gave his only begotten son that we could be saved. We could be redeemed, that we wouldn't perish but have eternal life. He was born in the city of David as a savior who is Christ the Lord. Would bring peace between God and men. The purpose of God's gift And the Apostle Paul would explain this in his own way when he wrote to the Galatians. I know why God has done this, that I might be dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. In Galatians 2.20, one of my favorite verses, Paul mentions his testimony in the context of God's love. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. God's love 
and its purpose in sending Christ is our salvation, that we would not perish but have everlasting life. Notice it's both. Some people think, oh, you become a Christian, so you don't just go to hell. You escape the punishment. But that's not all. You have everlasting life. You have that relationship with God. So if God has saved you, you ought to be living for him in relationship with him, celebrating his love when you gather for worship or when you live each and every day, awaiting his return. So if this is the purpose of Christmas love, Christmas gift of God, how do we receive that? It's very clear here in John. And if one thing is clear in the Gospel of John, it's how you get right with God. How do you receive this? What do we do with baby Jesus? It's clear that faith is required, that belief is required. Isn't that here in John 3.16, that whoever believes in him, that belief is what's required. It's not automatic. Unbelievers, non-believers don't receive the gift. The text will talk about that in a minute. But belief is required. And this is how John began back in chapter 1. You remember he came to his own, but his own received him not by and large. Because John 1 verse 12 and 13 go on to say this. But to all who did receive him. What does that mean? Comma. Who believed in his name. He gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. It's about believing, receiving, and becoming children of God. We see that here in John 3.16. It's repeated belief in John 3.18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Oh, and John keeps going. John chapter 6, verse 29, Jesus is answering someone. He said, this is the work of God that you believe in whom he sent. Or John 12, verse 36 Jesus said, while you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. John 13, verse 19, I am telling you this now, Jesus said, before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. John 14, verse 1, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. Let's jump ahead. Gospel of John, chapter 20. Jesus is speaking to doubting Thomas after the resurrection. And Thomas will be doubting no longer. Jesus said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it on my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. It's a theme of the gospel of John. And John says as much near the end of his book. He says, These things are written. This is John writing. These things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. It's a beautiful thing. God so loved the world that he gave his Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This gift needs no batteries. This gift has no parallel. It's unique. It's wonderful. It's what we need most. And God, out of love, says, here, 
That's the way we receive it. I do need, before we close, I do need just to comment that there is a danger in refusing this gift. I fear God and I tremble before his word. I can't just preach all the happy parts. I need to preach all the parts. And I need to point to you what Jesus said to Nicodemus on that night he would say to us. There is a danger in refusing God's loving gift. What is that danger? That you would remain in your darkness until the day of judgment. Verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but, this is Jesus speaking, whoever does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. What is that name? Jesus. The world knows the name and a lot of the world uses the name profanely. But if you don't believe in the name, there's no Christmas gift for you. It's still waiting to be opened. Christ is still offered as long as you are alive and hearing the gospel preached, either now or on a recording. There is hope if you will believe. But there's danger if you don't. It's not enough simply to know that there's a gift. You must believe. Read the gospel of John. I'm not making this up. Believe. Jesus says, believe. Oh, please believe and receive. The first advent of Christ was about bringing salvation to all men. And those angels were celebrating. This is amazing. At the second coming of Christ, there will be angels. They'll be dressed in battle gear. It'll be the day of judgment. And all humanity will be separated into two groups. Jesus will say, enter into the joy of your salvation. But he'll say to many, I never knew you. And there is a place of darkness, the Bible says, of eternal darkness. For those who refuse the gift of Christ. The Bible's very clear on that. Christmas is worth all the celebrating we can give because God so loved the world. He gave this amazing gift. And that's why we give gifts to others. You know that, boys and girls, Christmas is about gift giving because God started that. He gave this gift. There will come a day when Christ will come again. If we've received him, believe in him, oh, what glory that will be. He will know your name and he'll say, I know you. I know you. Come here. Eternal love, joy in our heavenly home. But not for those who refuse God's gift. Let me close with a few words summarizing what God might want us to know from this passage today. First, 
the story is true. This is a love story that's true. You hear a lot of these Hollywood versions of love stories, and, and we can talk about all those typical plot lines. This story is true. God is the God who loves, and he wins in the end. Heaven will be filled with a great multitude of people that he will have loved and loved to the end, completely, fully redeeming them and bringing them to himself. When Jesus came 2,000 years ago, he changed the world. He changed people in this room. Can I get an amen? He changed people, and he still does. This is a true love story, and it's still underway. You can write yourself in, as it were, if you put in your name where it says, God so loved the world that whoever believes in him, you can, you can put your name in that blank. It's a true story. It's a real deal. The second thing I want to say is the gift of God is life-changing. It not only frees us from punishment, but it gives us eternal life. It gives us the abundant life. Some gifts you get at Christmas maybe sit on the shelf. I'm not just talking about the Christmas elf that sits on the shelf. But this gift is life-changing. You won't be the same. You won't want to be the same. People will meet you after you receive this gift and they'll say, something's different about you. And you'll smile and say, yes, and it can change you too. This is life changing. And it's the, it, it's the only gift that can do that. You can give someone a gym membership or you can give someone an exercise equipment for their home and hope that you're going to change their life. But this gift does bring real change. And the final closing word this morning is what the Bible says so many times. The choice to believe and receive God's love is yours. The choice is yours. It's a free gift. It's a costly gift, but the cost has been paid at the cross of Jesus Christ. So the question is, will you receive God's gift of love? I pray that you do. Let's pray now. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for Christmas love. We thank you for John 3.16, that verse that seems so familiar, but today has exploded with greater significance before our eyes. You are a great God filled with great love and gracious love to have made this gift, this life-changing gift. We pray, Heavenly Father, that all who have received it would cherish it and we'd live in the light of your love and tell others of your love. And we pray for those who have not yet opened this gift that today might be a day of salvation, a day of welcome, a day of joy and rejoicing. Even the angels in heaven rejoice at one sinner who repents. So we pray, Father, that men and women and boys and girls would not wait till December 25th, but open the gift of your love today, even now. And may you bring joy to that heart and that home and glory to your name. We pray through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.
and amen.